G.I. Joe, the real American headcast, is the code name for Aaron's daring, highly trained headcast. Its purpose? To podcast about G.I. Joe, Fighting Cobra, a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world. And welcome back to another delightful episode of G.I. Joe, a Real American Headcast. Uh, episode 6, we're here to talk about issue number 6. And joining me today, uh, we have my friend Ryan Daly. Hey, Ryan. Yo, Joe. And Kyle Benning was going to join us, but apparently he's suffering from the Black Plague or something and <laughs> is incapacitated. Uh, it struck my family last week, so I, I understand how he feels. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was I was talking to Jeff about joining us once again. Uh, I'm not quite sure what's going on with him. I, I think he's upset or something. Uh, he mumbled something, rambling. He said something about Weather Dominator, the Blasted Joes, and he started laughing maniacally. Because soon my Weather Dominator will eradicate G.I. Joe and bring the free world to its knees. <laughs> so I may have to have someone take a look at, you know, stop in, peek in, make sure he's okay. He says that every time we talk to him. This is true. Well, maybe he's finally snapped. I don't know. Anyways, so let's not worry about Jeff and the bubonic plague, Kyle Benning. Let's go ahead and get on to the <laughs> episode we're going to talk about. Uh, we're here to talk about G.I. Joe, a real American hero, issue number six. It was cover dated December of 1982. The on-sale date was September the 7th, 1982. Uh, to buy this fresh off the newsstand, you had to have 60 cents. Edited by Thomas P. DeFalco. The plotter, as usual, was her, her plotter and penciler, according to uh, Mike's Amazing World of Comics, was Herb Trempe. And the scripter, as usual, was Larry Hama. Inker is Jack Abel. Letterer, James Novak. And colorist, Christy Scheel. And I'm probably mispronouncing her name, but... Uh, the f- cover credits is penciler Mike Vosberg. Inker, Jack Abel. And this issue is reprinted in G.I. Joe Comics Magazine number 3, Tales of G.I. Joe number 6, and G.I. Joe Volume 1, the trade paperback. And I think I actually have all of those issues. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the title of this one is called To Fell is to Conquer, To Succeed is to Die. And the synopsis, as the Joes return from another successful mission, they return to the pit, driven by a speeding clutch. The Joes are enjoying some downtime, and Clutch is talking up the vamp how great it is. Hawk shows up with a new mission that's strictly all volunteers. Scarlet informs him that this is an all-volunteer army. We find out that two days ago, a Russian secret spycraft crashed in the Hindu Hush mountain range of Afghanistan. The Afghani Hill tribesmen have the plane and pilot are willing to give them to America for the right price. Hawk asks for six volunteers, and everyone raises their hands. Hawk names off the six Joes that he's already picked. Stalker, Scarlet, Clutch, Steeler, Grand Slam, and our buddy Breaker. As Joes embark on the mission, someone on the Joe base contacts Cobra Command and gives them all the mission info. The page end revealing Hawk as Songbird. The spy, if you will. The Joes are dropped off and are surprised by the hidden rebels, where they also meet the CIA, CIA liaison, 
they didn't really give a name for him, so I just call him Jerkface. Jerkface gives the Joes grief that the rebels caught them with their pants down. The leader of the rebels tells Stalker that when they surprised Jerkface, he threw down his gun and surrendered before he remembered his password. The Joe team is then shown the RTV, the rough train vehicle, which is broken apart and the team must pet together. 23 minutes later, the team is rolling out. As they're going cross-country, they come across a ravine that's not on Scarlet's Girl Scout map, as Baker says. As he says this, someone starts firing on the team. We're introduced to the October Guard, who's after the Joes and their cargo. A firefight ensues, and soon both teams realize they are surrounded by a third party, Cobra Command. Cobra Commander orders his men to collect their arms and kill the prisoners. Do we continue next month in The Walls of Death? So, Ryan... What do you think about this issue? I really, really like this one. Uh, this is one of my favorite issues from like the first like handful, the first ten. Um, it's interesting to know that this was like the first issue that didn't wrap up its story. This is the first one that is a, a multi-part story arc. Uh, the first five issues were all kind of done in ones. Um, they, they, yeah, there's a whole lot to like about this story. The the plot is really interesting. We get our introduction to the October Guard, which is a very fun set of kind of recurring villains that uh, will occasionally pro- like cause problems for the Joes, and sometimes they'll be forced to team up. And yeah, they were just fun characters. So yeah, I like the October Guard. Also, they were they don't appear a whole lot, but yeah, when they do appear, it's usually a good story, and I, I, just, I like them. Mm-hmm. Uh, what'd you th- what'd you think about the cover of this one? I I like the cover a lot. Uh, well, let me maybe not a lot. Uh, I like the design concept of the cover. Um, it's a, a close-up shot of Cobra Commander's mask with the mirrored reflection. We get the Joes on one side and the October Guard on the other. It's a cool concept. I'm not crazy about the actual art and the way that. Cobra Commander's helmet is just kind of floating in space. There's no body or anything attached to it. That seems a little kind of cheap and quick. Um, but the details of the figures inside are really, really good. I like them. Uh, this was, I think, Mike Vosberg's first work on the Joe book. He would actually succeed Herb Trimpey as the penciler, I think starting in issue 9 uh, was the first uh, one that he did. And Losberg would go on to draw the book for about a year or two, and I've always had a sentimental fondness for his work. He wasn't the best Joe artist, far from it, but he drew some of my favorite issues, so I always associate him with good Joe memories. That's always a good thing. Yeah, like yeah, I enjoy the cover for the most part. Uh, yeah, the the Cobra head or Cobra Commander head just floating there is a little. A little weird, but I understand what they're going for. I do like the fact that on the cover it shows all three sides. It's going to show up eventually. You got mm-hmm. the Joes against the Cobra Guard with Cobra Commander facing them all. Just It's kind of... Plus, they're working together against Cobra, so... I think this cover really is... I know some of the covers haven't been so great, uh, but this one is... I, I Again, other than the, the floating Cobra Commander head... Mm-hmm. And that doesn't bother me as much. I think it probably bothers you, but I really like the, like you said, the design, the layout of this is very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Like you know, as we're going through the issue, the gangs you know, interacting, goofing around with each other, 
Uh, Breaker's constantly hitting on Stalker. Or Scar- Stalker. Well, that's, a, that's entirely different <laughs> comic there. Hitting on Which Scarlet. issue did you read? <laughs> well, I got a special issue from San Francisco. Uh, never mind. <laughs> Anyways, Breaker hitting on Scarlet. And then Scarlet's just shooting him down every time. Actually, I think it says Breaker, but actually I think it was Clutch. I'm misremembering what I registered a day or two ago. So it was Clutch that was getting mm-hmm. burnt by Scarlet, you know, and he was hitting on her, and, you know, she'd rather not t- deal with him. <laughs> yeah, that seems to be their routine for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Clutch was always the the attempting, attempted to be the ladies' man and usually getting shot down. More the, the horn dog. <laughs> yeah. I really like the first page. It's very interesting. It's, it's, it's a weird kind of shot. We don't really see a lot of these, but it's just the plane landing being surrounded by these jets. And it's, to me, it has kind of a, a cinematic feel to it. Oh, very um, much so. With the orange background and the towers and everything. This feels to me, this feels like something out of like a, a Tony Scott movie. Like, um, like Top Gun or Beverly Hills Cop 2. Yeah. Uh, it just kind of has this sort of lighting effect and that kind of... Uh, very cool. It's a very sort of cinematic introduction introduction to the story, which I really like it. I agree with you. It's a very nice cover. Uh, I like on the second page where uh, they're driving back to the base and mm-hmm. Clutch again is once again speeding along. They're like, hey, don't slow down, Clutch. You might give the state troopers and MPs a chance to catch up to us. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that seems to be a common thing with Clutch is uh, he likes driving a little fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And on page three, Trimpy does this a number of times in this two-part story arc where, and again, kind of going back to that first page where it has a sort of cinematic feel, he seems to kind of position the camera or the panel in one steady place and lets the characters move into position. And the top of page three... Yeah. We're, we're set up where we see Hawk walking up these stairs to kind of get into position. And it's, it's really strange because the first one, it's a lot of blank space. His head is just barely crowning over the stairwell. And then he gets a little bit bigger each time. And it's, it has a, a sort of fluid motion that feels dynamic and interesting, even though it's really not. It's just the character walking into the room and, and announcing that, hey, we're going to have a meeting. But, it's interesting. No, I agree with you on that. That, that. I do like the way that that's drawn. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't really think of it that way has been cinematic. But you're mm-hmm. right. It is very. Yeah, just cameras position in one place, and we see Hawk walk into our view. Yeah. So yeah, that is a nice. I like that panel, and I like the bottom of that where they they have uh, the word balloon coming from under the grate, showing that they're underneath the uh, chaplain's. Assistant yep. Chaplin's motor pool. Yeah. It kind of gives us, brings us back to the earlier issues, and it just kind of reminds us that, you know, they're deep underground. Yep. Again, it's just a couple of uh, trucks in the background and grading, but just the way it's done, it's very nice. Mm-hmm. And then you got there on the next page, you've got the, uh, the top secret Russian spy craft looking very UFO-ish to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. that's interesting, interesting vehicle designed by Trimpy for that one. Yeah, again, I mean, compared to the cartoon, this one's more reality based. So th- this is a little bit of a, 
I don't want to say departure, but mm-hmm. this is a little more sci-fi than what most of the comic, for the most part, tends to be. Yeah, that that seems like something he would have Trumpy would have done for like the Incredible Hulk more so than this book. But and it makes you wonder: was this reused somewhere else, or was this you know maybe a, a, another design for something else? And he's like, yeah, let's use it here. Yeah, I'm curious about that. But um, there is a, I guess it's a. It's a lettering mistake, and I don't know if this was an issue with Larry's script or if this was an issue with the lettering. Um, but throughout the issue, throughout this two-parter, one of the members of the team is Flash. But when Hawk puts up the list of the Joes going on the mission, it lists Grand Slam. And I don't know if Larry got confused and put Grand Slam on the list in his script the first time and then changed it to be Flash for the rest of the story. Or if the letterer, maybe they were looking at the art instead of the script and they saw that Flash and Grand Slam have the same costume design, maybe got confused and wrote the name Grand Slam. Yeah, I'd be curious to find out. Yeah, again, another one of those things that may never know, but yeah, it's interesting that Again, was that, yeah, as you said, was that something that Larry changed to the last minute or it's just a, a letter mistake? Yeah. I'd be one to bet a letter mistake, but you never know. Right. I mean, this early in the game, I mean, Larry might have, might have just goofed. I mean, he, he called Stalker Ranger on occasion. Yeah. He wasn't, I mean, we have so much love and affection for him as, kind of the, the shepherd of this whole property, but we can't forget the guy made mistakes. You know, he, he was just as capable of brain farts as the rest of us. How dare you? I will not hear you say a bad word about Mr. Larry Hama. <laughs> okay. That's it. You're, you're out of the show. Where, where, where's Shag's number at? Oh. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I agree that, yeah, he, he can make mistakes as, as, often, as often as they are, you know. <laughs> but anyways... It's been a while since I've read these issues. I did remember Hawk being the the mole, if you will. And yeah, that's that's a strange little plot twist that will resolve itself at the end of the next issue, right? Um, but yeah, when, but I first, yeah it, when I reread this the other day, I'm like, oh, my, oh, I wonder how that's going to end. I don't, I don't remember this part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all—it's such a weird little bit. That I am—I I was the exact same way when I reread this. I was like, "Wait a minute, why are they setting it up to make it look like Hawk is a traitor?" I have no idea how this plays out. And then I got to the end of issue seven. I was like, "Oh yeah." And see, but, I, when I first read this, I came in this as I said, I came into this later on, so I picked up these as back issues. So I knew Hawk wasn't a traitor. Yeah, because I'd seen him, you know, later on. But yeah, I just didn't remember how this played out. Mm-hmm. Once we we actually get into the mission, once the Joes drop down into the Hindu Kush mountains, it's there's some wonderful dated geopolitics going on in the story <laughs> with them working with these rebels uh, in Afghanistan who are just trying to get the Russians out of their country. And if you look at the U.S.'s involvement in that little bit of world history. And how we funded who would eventually be our enemy in order to get rid of the, the Russians. It's, it's, you, you get to this part of the story and you're like, oh yeah, this is, yeah. We're, we're giving them a lot of weapons and military training to help them fight one of our enemies. And 
That'll come back to haunt us later on. Yeah, sadly, this isn't sci-fi. <laughs> Larry didn't have to make any much of this up for it to actually, you know. No. But. Yeah, you mentioned the uh, the CIA liaison, aka Jerkface. Uh, it's actually something that will become a kind of running theme throughout a lot of his stories. Is the the Central Intelligence Agency kind of having this? Uh, almost antagonistic relationship with the Joes and like what their missions are often conflicting with, you know, you know, stalkers agenda. Right. And here we have this mission where Ahmed, the head of this, uh, or the chief of this rebel tribe sees stalker as a fellow warrior and he can relate to stalker because he believes they're both soldiers and anytime he has to have these interactions with the CIA liaison, aka Jerkface, it's just clear that yeah, these guys do not see eye to eye. They're they're working together for a common goal, but Ahmed would much rather be talking to Stalker and the Joes than this Joker. Well, yeah, I feel as we'll find out later on, he finds Stalker much more, I guess, trustworthy and mm-hmm. you know more loyal a person than Jerkface. Right. Like, you know, Jerkface is trying to, you know, you guys suck. You know, if this had been October Guard, they would have wiped you guys out. And after he leaves him, he's like, eh, don't worry about that idiot. <laughs> we scared him so bad, he dropped his gun and surrendered before he remembered his passwords. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a little bit there that, again, as you were saying, it shows that they're, you know, they're brothers in arms, if you will. Mm-hmm. Even though they may be on different sides or different, you know, from different nations, different countries, they're still... Right. Both warriors and both, you know, fighting men. So mm-hmm. it's sort of it's it's a theme that was established back in issue two with Quinn, the Eskimo yes. sort of mercenary, who, despite being on the opposite side of this battle, had a respect for the Joes because they sort of looked at the world through a similar lens. They had sort of shared history, and he knew what a warrior looked like when he saw Snake Eyes. So very much so. Meanwhile, the, the guys he was dealing with, he didn't trust them, and yeah, he was right. willing to. Uh, I don't want to say he turned on them, but he, he did the best he could by sticking to his word, but give the mm-hmm. Joes the a leg up. <laughs> then we get to the rough terrain vehicle, the RTV. Yeah, which the Joes and the Afghani tribe managed to assemble out of parts in twenty-three minutes, <laughs> which is. Dude, nice work. Yeah, I mean, 23 minutes, that's quite a, that's quite a while. Not until you see how big this thing is. I mean, yeah, and they don't have a, a lot of power, you know, vehicles to do this with. Yeah. And this one scene, they're lifting up this universal joint. It's a huge ball joint. And they've got ropes they're pulling it up with, it looks like, and holding it up by hand, so. Yeah. And it takes my mechanic like an hour and a half to... <laughs> check the brake calipers and stuff on my car. And I was like, dude, like, you couldn't build this thing? <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised they didn't actually have a toy for this at some point. Mm-hmm. But I guess since it's just a one, well, two yeah. issues, you know, it, I don't think this ever comes back again, so I guess that's probably right. why, but... Right. Uh, what else is there? Uh, again, I, I just, I, as we said, I like the artwork in this entire issue. We haven't talked much about the artwork, but mm-hmm. uh, besides what you talked about earlier, again, I like the artwork in here. Uh, it's it's very, very, very much on point. Um, there's not really any bad panels 
that I could see offhand. I mean, most of it was really good. The on page not numbered. Uh, whether it's rough train vehicles driving over the rocks, we see the sun coming up over the horizon. Yep. And the sun, yeah, just, again, just a small little panel. You don't see a whole lot, but again, I just like the way that's drawn laid out. Mm-hmm. And above that, we got the everyone, you know, Steeler, Breaker, everyone checking in. And that's where we find out it's Flash, not Grand Slam. <laughs> the weapons <laughs> console. Uh, I like the way that's laid out. And then... A few pages down the road, we meet the October Guard in a beautiful double-page splash. Oh, I, I think this that. has got to be the first time we've got one of these in the series. I don't I think, think we've had so. a. I don't think we've had a double-page splash yet, um, and this is certainly worthy of it. This this sort of firefight between vehicles jumping over a crevasse <laughs> in the in the mountains. Well, they're 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 lifting the. Uh... Mm-hmm. The Joe's the vehicle, vamp. the vamp, thank you. They're lifting the vamp over the hook, and the truck train vehicle is kind of rolling over the ravine while the October Guards jump. I mean, this almost is poster worthy. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I could see this being on a, blown up a little larger and being on a poster. Again, yeah, I like that. And the fact that it's a splash page, not, you know, they didn't reduce it down to just like a one, pa- one page. They actually took the full advantage of a splash page. It was really nice. Mm hmm. I mean, again, do you have any other comments on the rest of it? The rest of it's just the firefight between... Uh, I like the, uh, the rough train vehicle. A high, uh, can raise up, so they get the high ground on the October Guard, when the October Guard's hidden behind the rocks, and the front part of the rough train vehicle rises up, and they start firing on the October Guard. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, it's... Yeah, you're right. Like, the last couple pages are just... Uh, you know, what Andy Leyland of Hey Kids Comics would call Fighty McFightenstein. Um, and it's good stuff. I mean, we see a little bit of all of the new, the October Guard personalities coming out. Um, it's cool that, you know, you've got five and they each have their own distinct visual looks. You know, Horror Show is our big bazooka guy. It's like a big, like, green, like, parka. We've got Dana or Diana, depending on, I think the cartoon called her Diana. Um, and she's sort of like their, their female Scarlet. She's a sniper. You've got Shragi and, and, uh, Stormovic, Colonel Brekov. They're all, they're all cool looking. You can tell one from the other when you see them. Yes. Um, nice character designs by Trimpy. I'm assuming he was the one who designed all of these character costumes. Um, it's, it's a fun issue. And yeah. it, it ends on a cliffhanger. They're captured by Cobra Commander who says he's going to line them all up and kill them. It's uh, it's fun. Yeah, you know, again, I like the, I like the last panel on here is kind of the cover. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not fighting against them, but yeah, you got um, Cobras and the October Guard reflecting as a ma- face mask. Yep. So uh, I really like that, and also back when the Co- October Guard and the Joes are fighting, uh, not only the the picture but the the uh, dialogue as they're fighting each other. Again, it's very, I mean, I'm sure in a real-life fight, they're not going to be talking as much as they're talking here. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be a little too busy. But I do like, again, it's a common book, so they're, they're able to do all this extra talking as they fight. Yeah, yeah. And again, it gives you a little bit more about the personality, and I, I don't know, it just makes it more endearing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, yeah, like, Cobra Commander surrounds them and comes up and captures them. 
Yeah. Uh, do you have any other comments on this issue? I don't think so. Just it's uh it's really good. Of it's of the first six issues that we've got, this is probably my third favorite after the first two issues. Yeah, it's in the yeah probably it's it's in the top three or four. Yeah, probably three. Yeah, I would have to agree with that because the first one's just good on its own, and then the second one's got Quinn. I mean, right. How can you go wrong with that? So, yeah, this is a great issue. Again, artwork's fantastic. Cobra Commander's drawn excellent in here. Uh, just, yeah, I just love the artwork in this comic. Uh, well, I mean, unless you've got other comments on this, nope. we'll go ahead and uh, take a quick break, and then we'll come back and we'll cover uh, G.I. Joe, the animated series. I guess it's called G.I. Joe the Cartoon back then, but <laughs> we'll be right back, guys. G.I. Joe will return after these messages. Aw, yeah. Aw, yeah. Uh, uh, uh. Feels good. Feels good. The time has come to enjoy myself. Hello, greetings, and hi there. This is the Head Speaks Podcast. Hey there, true believers. Welcome to the Task Force X Headcast. G.I. Joe, the Real American Headcast, is the code name for Aaron's daring, highly trained headcast. Hello there, my name is Aaron Moss, and this is the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour. Alexis Mox. This is my show called Alexis Beat. And all of these shows can be found on the Headcast Network. Look for it on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Also on Facebook by looking for the Headcast Networks. All of the great Headcasts that you love on one convenient feed. Look for it. The Headcast Network. See you there. In fact, I think we should record a promo about all the changes to the Fire and Water Podcast Network happening this year. What do you think, Rob? That's a great idea. We can mention the new folks joining the network and all the shows. I can talk about how we'll continue with our Aquaman and Firestorm show, and I want to be sure to plug my movie show, The Film and Water Podcast. What about you, Ryan? Oh, I think we should definitely record a promo. I'll mention how the Secret Origins Podcast is joining the Fire and Water Network, and then I'll introduce my newly relaunched shows, Give Me Those Star Wars and Power of Fishnets, The Black Canary and Zatanna Podcast. Sound good to you, Chris? Absolutely. I'll mention the show I record with my lovely wife, Cindy, Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast. We should probably also mention the Power Records podcast Rob and I do, too. What about you, Siskoid? Well, sure. I can talk about my ensemble show, The Lonely Hearts Romance Comics Podcast, and my new upcoming shows about the DC Comics crossover event, Invasion, and yes, oh, hot move. Shag, you think we should mention Hero Points, the most occasional DC Heroes role-playing podcast? Sure, why not? And I can talk about Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe, and mention my new upcoming show, Justice League International, Wahaha podcast. Now, here's what I'm thinking. When we record, I'm fine being the first person talking. I can explain all the changes to the Wait network. a minute, wait a minute, wait. Why do you get to start the promo? I'm just as much of a part of this as you are. It was my idea to create the Fire and Water podcast back in 2011. I should start off this promo. 
I kind of think it should be one of the new voices who kick off the promo. It'll shock the listener into attention if it's not Rob or Shag. Cindy and I make up two people in the network. Plus, you know, ladies first. So we should be the first people talking on the promo. Ben, voyons donc. You have what? got uh, what? talent. We French cannot be the Enough! Stop it. You're like boys with toys. Let's just make this simple. We can tell the folks at home the Fire and Water Podcast Network is growing in 2016. Several new shows are joining the network. We'll have a new dedicated website, a Twitter account, and Facebook page. And folks will be able to subscribe to each individual show or all of them. See, now was that so hard? The Fire and Water Podcast Network. Available soon through iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and fireandwaterpodcast.com. Seriously, Shag, you had to get the last word, didn't you? Now back to G.I. Joe. And welcome back. Hopefully you guys all made it back through the commercial break. So we're going to go and cover the fourth episode of G.I. Joe, the cartoon. Yo, Joe! We'll fight for freedom wherever there's trouble. G.I. Joe is there. G.I. Joe G.I. Joe against Cobra and Destro, fighting to save the day. He never gives up, he's always there, fighting for freedom over land and air. G.I. Joe! G.I. Joe is there! G.I. Joe is the code name for America's daring, highly trained special mission force. Its purpose, to defend human freedom against Cobra, a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule Never gives up, he'll stay till the fight's won. G.I. Joe will dare. G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe, a real American hero, part four, Duel in the Devil's Cauldron. Originally aired Thursday, September 15th, 1983 at 3 p.m. local time. If you remember, the last episode ended with Snake Eyes being reunited with the G.I. Joe team, bringing with him his adopted Timberwolf, and a canister containing one of the three precious materials needed to create the mass device. But the canister spewed toxic gas that threatened to poison the Joes in their base. Episode 4 opens with Timber, who seems immune to the poison, helping CoverGirl dump water on a rag because, as she says, liquid filters out fumes. And you can test that, kids, with your own poisons at home. (laughs) Anyway, Timber and CoverGirl get rid of the poison bomb thing, saving the rest of the Joes. After that, Dr. Vandermeer reminds us that the Joes have only acquired two of the catalytic catalytic components for the mass device. The third element is a fragment of meteor that landed in the caldera of an active volcano in South America. Then, Stalker informs Duke and the others that the Joint Chiefs have ordered all the armed forces, including G.I. Joe, to surrender to Cobra. Cobra Commander, who was eavesdropping on Stalker's communication, revels in his victory. But Destro is far more cautious, and rather than celebrate prematurely, prepares a mission to collect the third element from the Devil's Cauldron. And, of course, Destro was right. G.I. Joe knew that Cobra Commander was intercepting their transmission, so they faked the call from Stalker to buy more time. 
the Joes send a team led by Scarlet, Gung-Ho, and Wild Bill to airlift the meteor out of the volcano. But Destro's forces arrive, and a massive aerial battle ensues over the volcano. The battle causes the volcano to erupt, which launches the meteor high into the air, where it is caught by Cobra's colossal air fortress. Back at the Cobra Temple, Cobra Commander grows impatient, waiting for G.I. Joe's to surrender, so he uses the mass device again to try and disintegrate New York City. This process exhausts one of the precious elements and accomplishes nothing because the slave girl Selena sabotages the machine before it hurts New York. The Joes attack Destro's air fortress, but he captures Scarlet and uses her as a hostage to escape with the element he needs for the mass device. While flying away, Scarlet damages the jet's controls, sending them on a collision course with the mountains below. And that is where the fourth episode ends. Okay, before we continue, let me just give a little disclaimer. Uh, Ryan's thoughts and opinions are entirely his own, and do not reflect those of G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. Uh, we do not recommend kids playing with their own poisons at home. Just a little disclaimer before, you know, Mommy Dad decides to sue us, because we have no money, so... Don't play with poison chemicals, kids. I'm sure it was that exact <laughs> scene that caused the and now you know and knowing is half the battle PSAs that would come after the show. Oh, it, was sure. all the, it was all in response to some outrage over this episode. <laughs> uh, but our thoughts on this issue or this episode. Uh, well, luckily, Timber was there to save their new Joe cover girl. Yeah. Not just one Timber. There's actually a shot where you see two Timbers. Um, in the shot when CoverGirl is grabbing the canister and putting it on the, the vamp to drive it off, there's a shot of Timber in the passenger seat of the vamp, like just a still That's shot, right. and then the wolf also walking around behind her. Like <laughs> it was it was some like animation mistake where yeah. they put him in two different spots. So well, maybe unless, so unless fast. The Joes have a lot of wolves just <laughs> wandering around in their base. <laughs> yeah, and when the uh, they're testing their... Uh their mass device. Good thing they didn't do a human test subject on that. Mm-hmm. They twisted that gun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my thoughts. I've got the way the uh, the lava in the volcano. Yeah. I still like the way. You know, again, this is the early '80s, but I like the way that looks. The lava in there. It's very. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dynamic and very. You can tell that it's hot molten lava. Oh yeah. yeah. I have a couple questions. Okay. One. Uh, so there, this third component came from this rock that fell in this volcano. Where did Destro get his components from? <laughs> uh, good question. I, I assume he was at this volcano before, but why didn't he... Take the whole thing? Why didn't he take the whole thing? He must have sent... Uh, what was it? The the most recent Star Trek movie, Star Trek Into Darkness. It oh. opens up with Spock in that little lava-proof costume. He must yeah. have gone down there in that thing. Yeah, I just wonder, where did Cobra, I guess, Destro actually get their original material, you know, because it only comes from this meteorite. Uh, where, where did Destro get his, and why didn't he take, again, take the whole thing, or unless yeah, exactly. another source? Yeah. Another question, when the uh, Cobra Commander and Destro is watching the monitor and Cobra Commander's eating with his helmet on, <laughs> did he ask the question? <laughs> <laughs> I was watching, and it never really dawned on me when I watched, you know, when I was younger. <clears throat> but watching it this time, I'm like, wait a minute, he's got his actual the, the helmet on, and is he? How the heck is he supposed to be eating? <laughs> he like sort of like just slides it up underneath the the lip of the mask, and just yeah. like 
<laughs> Very uncomfortable. <laughs> but yeah, as you mentioned, your uh, synopsis, Destro is much smarter than Cobra Commander. Mm. Cobra Commander's like, yeah, it's, we've won, they're surrendering, and Destro's like, let's not count our chickens before they're hatched, Cobra Commander. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Cobra Commander's just, he's like a child. He actually, he tell he commands the slaves to amuse him, and yeah. then he puts... One of the the big giant slave who I think is actually the Apache chief from the Super Friends cartoon, <laughs> and I, uh, Cobra Commander pits this guy against this giant like robot gladiator thing. That's just it, it's a weird scene. It's, it's, there's actually there's a bit of a creepiness by it because he it looks like he's looking at Selena at first when he says slave come here and amuse me. And I'm like oh god where is this going? But it's that's actually what I was looking at. Oh. But, but yeah, but then it's the Apache chief guy who walks over there, so. Uh. Is it just me, or is Gung Ho comes across as kind of special needs? <sighs> Gung Ho's an interesting character. When he um, picks up the tanks. Ooh, sorry, I thought it was, you know, playtime. Yeah, he, he's played for me. He's, Gung Ho is one of my favorite characters in the cartoons. Um, he was just, they, they really gave him a personality, and sometimes he's a stupid lug. Yeah, uh, but he's also a character who just seems to be genuinely having fun at his job, and and that's oh, always yeah. a fun character. That's that's fun to watch. Now, I I can't remember if this is Gung Ho's first appearance or if this is just the first time he really does something. Um, this was the first episode for a lot of characters. Like this, is the first time we see Wild Bill. It's the first time we see Airborne. It's the first time we see Ace. Right. Um, and 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 Gung Ho too, and a lot of these characters were new. They were introduced in the second wave of figures that would have been out by then. Um, so yeah, I'm just curious. But yeah, this is we see Gung Ho kind of taking center stage, and he would become, I think, a fan favorite throughout the series because oh, yeah. he was yeah, just. A I fun like Gung Ho. It's just yeah, this this first again, this he, first real thing he shows up. He's oh tanks like yeah. seriously. <laughs> there's no one you know, no one maybe standing around saying. Hold on, they record, you know, they're, they're broadcasting. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, Cobra Commander turned the cameras off by this point and didn't right. see this. Right. right. And yeah, you were talking about Apache Chief. Yeah, I've got a note about that. Yeah, the gladiator guy, he's like two or three times the size of the Cobra uh, soldiers are carrying him out. Right. Like, wow, he's not just a tall drink of water, he's a giant. I think if you had somebody that big. I mean, sure, you could use him for slave labor, but I also think, you know, if you just gave him an honest wage and some incentive, he'd probably be a really good guy to have on your team. Yeah, but I'm sure he has some morals, and morals yeah. don't work too well with Cobra. That's true. The Apache chief characters are always noble. <laughs> that he may be too smart to work for someone as dumb as Cobra Commander. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, and I, I'm a computer guy. I worked on computers. I've done tech support for an internet company. I'm not sure, quite quite sure, if kicking the computer and smoke pouring like that would all of a sudden make it start working. In all my years, usually when smoke pours out of a computer, it's usually not a good thing. Uh, I mean, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I built my own computers. I did tech support. Yeah, usually when there's smoke, you're having to kick the computer and smoke's pouring out of it. Usually things have gone downhill and it's not going to work after that without some major work. I don't know. Maybe oh, maybe there's a special computer. I don't know. Well, at least we know that water damage still affects them yeah. the same way. 
I have a comment about that also. I I don't know if her pouring the water on the computer that late in the game would have stopped that beam in mid-flight. <laughs> Again, I'm a computer guy, uh, I'm a comic guy, I'm not a science guy, so I don't know anything about death beams coming from the air and, you know, how that works, but to me it seems like, yeah, pouring water on the... It's not going to send any more beams out, but I, I would think that one that's already on the way, gone through the satellite, it's, you know, a mile above New York City or wherever it was going for it. It, it must have needed a, the constant stream from one computer. I, you know, I don't know. But other than that, I, I, I enjoy this cartoon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't don't let what I'm saying, you know, dissuade anyone. It's it's an 80s cartoon. If you yes. pick apart any part of it, if you just if if you pinch it a little bit, it's just gonna, it's gonna pop like a pimple. <laughs> it's just it's the way these these cartoons were made, but. You can't let those things interfere with your enjoyment of them. Oh, no, I see. I still enjoyed this very much. Uh, my daughter was watching with me. Uh, my seven-year-old, she, she loves it. Yeah. So, yeah. so, yeah, just, you know, again, I, the only reason I bring a lot of this up is I'm thinking about it now and, like, you know, let me bring it up, you know. But mm-hmm. watch, yeah, I love this episode. I love, so far, I've loved all four parts of this show, so. Right. And for her, I mean, the, the ladies in this episode take a lot of agency for themselves. I mean, CoverGirl yes. is the one to save the team in the beginning. Selena, despite being the slave girl, like actually saves all of New York City by sabotaging the she I mean, Scarlet at the end puts herself in danger. She gets captured, but then she still manages to to shoot the, the controls on the jet and could have killed Destro. Yeah, and herself, but yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, no, yeah, the woman... Again, yeah, especially for me in the 80s, the women are not... Your average eighties female. They're very action oriented and very, very much uh, to the point and yeah. doing battle. <laughs> oh, do you have any other comments on this on this episode? Any other thoughts um, or concerns or anything? No. I mean it was good. It was nice to have like a, a major battle sort of in the last third of this episode with yeah. like almost the entire Joe team. Uh, just kind of storming this air fortress and like Destro having to retreat. Uh, it was cool to see so many characters in action. Again, like the first appearance of Gung Ho, who's one of my favorites from the show. The first appearance of Wild Bill, who's one of my favorites from the show. Um, it's yeah, it's, it was a good, it was a fun episode. I, I agree. I like I like, like Gung Ho, I like Wild Bill. It was good to see him show up in the cartoon doing something. So yeah. even though I think our first appearance of him. Gung Ho is the one flying the helicopter, not Wild Bill. I'm not sure why they. But, right. Maybe he's flying another helicopter. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. <laughs> Again, don't don't pull on it too much and they exactly. fall apart. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, unless uh, there's anything else, we're going to take another break real quick, and we'll be back with Postbox the Pit. GI Joe will return after these messages. Do you want to hear the origin of Superman or Batman? Of course not. You're listening to a geek culture podcast. You know the origins of Superman and Batman. You've always known them. Your unborn grandchildren know the origins of Superman and Batman. But what about Guy Gardner, Blue Beetle, or the Phantom Stranger? What about Firestorm, Sandman, or the Golden Age Fury? Those are just a few of the stories covered in the Secret Origins Podcast, a review show dedicated to the Secret Origins comic published by DC in the 1980s. Each episode of the Secret Origins Podcast features me, 
Ryan Daly, and an all-star collection of guest hosts revealing or revisiting the legends of the DC superheroes and villains. And if you're already sick of hearing my voice on this promo, the good news is at least 50% of the talking on the Secret Origins podcast is done by a terrific guest from the podcast and blogging community. So check out the Secret Origins podcast, available on iTunes and at secretoriginspodcast.wordpress.com. Gene, we should do a podcast. Sounds like a great idea, Jeff. but what will we talk about? How about a superhero that we both love? Perfect. Someone like Thor or Captain America? Uh, both great choices, but um, I think they're being covered by somebody else already. Wait, I've got it. What about the protector of the universe? Like Voltron? No, no, no. The guy with the jewelry that lets him create whatever he wants. Ah, Green Lantern, nice. Close. No, this guy has cosmic awareness. Captain Marvel? Almost. I mean, Quasar. Ah, Quasar. Who doesn't love a good Quasar? Tune in to the Quantum Cast, covering all things Quasar. Yes, that's right. You can find us at quantumbands.blogspot.com. And on the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Yeah, that, that didn't sound scripted at all, did it? Now, back to G.I. Joe. And welcome back again. Uh, we are now going to go through Postbox the Pit. Uh, Mr. Ryan, would you care to read the Twitters? Yeah, we got Twitter likes, favorites, followers, mentions from Captain Marvel, Count Druncula. Hey, that's me. Hey. DS and RS, GIJoeItalia.com, J. David Weeder, Jaco Tartargua, Jim Beard, Joe Aday, Joe's Assembled, Richard Field, The Hammer Strikes, Trekker Talk, Warlord Worlds, Wednesday's Comics, and YT. Yeah, I want to thank everyone that's on Twitter and liked and commented and retweeted our uh, posts. And over on Facebook, not quite as many, but we do a few. There's Christopher Cassell, Coffee and Comics Blog, Jim Beard, our buddy Gene Hendricks, Matt Stonecipher. And then Clinton Robinson made a comment uh, about the new intro I played last episode. He said he absolutely cheered when he, knew the, when he heard the new intro. I have watched that movie way more times than any human should be allowed. <laughs> well, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you liked the uh, new intro, Clinton. I wanted to change it up a little bit so I could use the actual G.I. Joe intro to our cartoon segment. So uh, let me know what you guys think about it. And let's move on to emails. Uh, we're moving up in the world. We've got three emails this time. Our first one is from Robert Buzan. He says, hey, guys, it's great to hear someone taking up podcast coverage of the G.I. Joe comic. I, too, was a listener of the G.I. Joe Review podcast and was disappointed to see it stop getting updates. It's good to see a new G.I. Joe podcast. The fandom certainly needs more of them. Adding episode-by-episode coverage of the Sumbo cartoon is a great idea. I'm enjoying the in-depth discussions of the classic Joe media. It'd be nice to hear some more coverage of the toys as well. Uh, this is me poking in real quick. Uh, we'll probably do some more coverage of the toys at some point in the future. Not sure when yet. We'll, we'll try to slice them in there somewhere. Uh, back to Robert's letter. He says, My background of G.I. Joe goes back to 1983. I picked up a Cobra Commander figure by trading a Star Wars Weequay figure to a grade school classmate. I got the better end of that deal. I later picked up a straight arm flash and was hooked up on the toys. I caught the original miniseries on its first run and followed the daily series all the way through its end with a broadcast version of the animated movie. 
My first G.I. Joe comic was Marvel issue 17, and I must read that comic until it's severely dog-eared. It definitely sold me on the colorful characters, along with Larry Hammond's mix of humor and authentic-sounding military dialogue. I stopped collecting the toys as a kid around 1987, but returned to collecting Joes and Star Wars in the 90s. I became that most terrible of collecting types, a completist. In the early days of the internet, thanks to the Joe's website like YoJo, Generals Joe's, and Mike T's Forgotten Figures. These sites and my burgeoning collection inspired me to start my own G.I. Joe blog project, Joe A Day. The concept was simple. Each day I would cover a G.I. Joe item, be it a figure, vehicle, print material, or anything tangentially related to the brand. Around the same time, I discovered the Flag Points podcast, where I guest hosted a few episodes and was eventually made a permanent host. During our run, we had the opportunity to interview Herb Trimpe, along with several of the Sumbo voice actors, Neil Ross, Bill Ratner, and Mary McDonald Lewis. Unfortunately, the Flag Points HQ was mothballed last year, but my blog continues. Thanks to Hasbro's inactivity of the brand, there's little new talk in regards to Joe, but fan projects and podcasts are certainly carrying a torch for the glories of Joe's past. Keep up the good work, and yo, Joe. Signed, Rob, and his website is www.joaday.com. Uh, any comments or thoughts on that letter, Ryan? Uh, it's nice, questions? but it's, it's nice to get all the feedback and comments. Nice to hear from uh, somebody else who's done G.I. Joe podcasts in the past and continues to be a fan of that. Uh, I definitely know the pain of being a completist collector when it comes to yeah. toys or other things. It's it's a tough that's a tough strain on your fanhood. Very much so. And let's go on to our second letter. This is from Scott. He says, Hello Aaron. First off I am enjoying the G.I. Joe podcast. I just wish it came on more often. Yes, I do realize other projects in life prevent that from happening. Um, Scott, yes, I too wish I could get this out more often than once a month. Uh, but between my between life and work and a one year old and trying to get on you know, again I'm on the West Coast and Ryan and Kyle and our uh, upcoming Cobra Commander Jeff are all based further east. It's harder to get <laughs> together as I'd like. But anyways, uh, he continues to say, I download the show via iTunes. Unfortunately, the Christmas episode is incorrect. It comes up as a correct title, but the episode is actually episode four. Not sure if everyone had this issue or not, but there's no way I could look into it. Uh, again, I, I did look at I had a, uh, an email from Gene Hendricks earlier let me know he had the same issue. I fixed that. So the Christmas episode should be up correctly. If you guys have any more problems with it, let me know. But, yeah, that should be fixed at this point. I apologize for that. That was due to uh, the idiot that was uploading it. Forgot to change the file name and the uh, one of the documents, and it didn't load properly. Yes, they didn't be me. Anyways, back to Scott's letter. He says, in Episode 5, you mentioned I got a new microphone or software. Sorry, it was late at night when I listened. In the first half of the episode discussing the comic, it sounded as like if you were in a completely empty room or like four feet away from the microphone because it sounded far away compared to the intro in the second half. I was curious if the new mic came after the episode was recorded, but time for the intro. Um, actually, the, the I used the same microphone for the discussion with the guys and with the interview with Jim Beard, so I'm not sure. And again, though it's a new microphone, so I may have been playing with the settings. I may have changed something inadvertently. Uh, hopefully that gets cleared up. And back to finish off Scott's letter. He says, hope you don't think I'm trying to be a jerk or bash you or the show. I really do enjoy it. 
I'd love to be able to listen to the Christmas episode of my iTunes. And the micro thing is just me being genuinely curious. Thanks for the great show. I am looking forward to many more episodes in the future. Scott Romofsky. Oh, no, I don't think you're being a jerk. I think you're you know, being honest. I like the feedback, whether it's negative or positive. Uh, any criticism or anything it just helps us make the show even better. Do you have any thoughts, Ryan? Or comments? Um, no, not on okay. that one. And then we'll move on to our last letter of the day from Kevin Rizel. He says, hello, G.I. Joe Headcast. I really enjoyed your recent episode covering the G.I. Joe issue number five, Tanks for the Memories. I love hearing your personal stories as you review these classic comic book stories. I wanted to share my own personal story that has to do with this particular issue. I first started collecting the G.I. Joe comic when I noticed the first issue on the comic spindle stand at my local 7-Eleven in Santa Barbara, California. I was hooked from issue one. At the time, I didn't know what a comic book store was, and this was the only way I could get comics. I really connected issue five for a reason. I loved how the team improvised to take the advantage they needed. One day, my parents had trouble with the TV reception. I remember we were the only family on the block who still had a black and white TV. As the G.I. Joe toy line was being rolled out in the local toy store, I listed out the new G.I. Joe Mobat tank. However, at the time, it was very expensive, and I couldn't afford it on my allowance. As my parents' TV reception issues went on, the last thing my dad wanted to do was spend more money on TV service repairman. One day after school, when the TV to myself, I fixed the problem with a simple screwdriver to loose the UHF-VHF connections on the back of our TV. Boom, our TV reception was back. My dad was so excited that I repaired the problem, he rewarded me with a trip to the local toy store and bought me my own G.I. Joe Mobat tank. Good for you. That's, that is very cool. And again, I'm sure a lot of our younger listeners may not know what the UHF VHF connection is on TV, but they might not know what a screwdriver is. <laughs> Touche. But uh, back to Kevin's letter, he says many times I recreated GI Joe issue number five, Tanks for the Memories, with my own Mobat tank and GI Joe figures. I even chewed my own bubble yum bubble gum during playtime to create Breakers Bubble Pop Boom. Great job on the podcast, guys. I really enjoy what you do for the love of G.I. Joe. Yo, Joe. Kevin, Raider Nerd, Rizel. Well, again, thank you very much, uh, Kevin, for writing in. I enjoyed hearing your letter, your, your G.I. Joe uh, flashback, if you will, your G.I. Joe origins. And, in fact, I, I recommend everyone out there write in. Let us know. I, I enjoy hearing you know, how people find G.I. Joe, uh, hear, hear about the love people have for G.I. Joe. Yeah, absolutely. If you've got fun stories about how you first discovered the cartoon or the comics or the toys, anything, let us know, because these are fun. Yeah, I really enjoy these. And that's our last letter. So, again, uh, if you guys want to be read on the air, you can either go to our blog and leave us a message, which is at gijoe.headspeaks.com, or you can send us an email to gijoe at headspeaks.com, and you, too, can be heard on the air. And, again, you can also... Uh, visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. And over on Twitter, we're under G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. And Mr. Ryan, would you like to tell these fine people how to find and locate you on the inner tubes? Well, you can find me at the Secret Origins podcast, which will be coming back by the time this episode is out. It should be out, uh, which is now part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. 
as are my two new podcasts spinning out of older ones that I've done. Uh, the first one is Give Me Those Star Wars, which you can imagine is a Star Wars podcast. And the other one is Power of Fishnets, dedicated to the DC Comics characters Black Canary and Zatanna. And on the outside of the podcast front, uh, I'm the writer and creator of a webcomic called My Pet Ninja, which is available at risingsuncomics.com. You can read the first episode for free. And I'm also the co-creator of another web strip called Red and Green, uh, which I uh, do with a friend of mine named Paul Scavito. And that is also available at risingsuncomics.com. And on behalf of our missing Kyle, uh, he can be found on King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun. And uh, check out his. And also Jeff Fishman. It can be found occasionally over on the Quantum Cast. Uh, he's also got the Comic Book Fight Club, which him and Gene Hendricks recommend no one listen to. But I disagree because I, I thoroughly enjoy that show. Uh, am I missing anything on those two guys, Brian? Um, I mean, they've, they've got tons of material out there. If you find them, we, we badly miss them. Hopefully they'll be back on the show yes. next month. And as far as uh, me, I do have, Ryan was speaking of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, uh, following in their footsteps, and I've been thinking about for a while. I've started my own uh, network. I have the Headcast Network. Uh, you can get the shows individually, or you can go to the Headcast Network on iTunes and Stitcher, and you can get all my shows on one convenient feed. First Tuesday of the month is G.I. Joe, the show you're listening to now. Then the second Tuesday of the month should be Head Speaks. The third Tuesday is Task Force X. Fourth Tuesday of the month is my very new, brand new podcast, The Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, where I look at the Will Payton Starman and the Mark Shaw Manhunter from DC Comics in the 80s. Uh, so be sure to check us out there. And again, as I said, leave your uh, messages, send us an email. Let us know what you guys think. Let us know what your G.I. Joe experience. We love hearing from it. But I think that's about it for this episode. Do you have any other comments or concerns or anything you want to add there, Ryan? No, just uh, enjoy the G.I. Joe comics, enjoy the cartoons, and yo, Joe. There you go. Until next time, uh, this is Aaron. We're out. And remember, knowing is half the battle. Yo, Joe. Your mom uh, had an accident. I'll uh, take you to her. Uh-oh. Look, Wild Bill! Who was that? Some stranger. He said Donnie's mom was hurt. I didn't know if I should go with him. Well, just don't do what a stranger says. Check it out with an adult you know. Remember, a stranger can mean danger. Now I know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! G.I. Joe, a real American headcast, is available monthly on iTunes, Stitcher, and at headspeaks.com. All characters and stories are owned and trademarked by the respective owners. We claim no ownership other than our opinions. All audio and images are used for entertainment purposes and falls under fair use. We make no money from this headcast. For more of the monthly G.I. Joe, check out the IDW series. For the stories we're covering, look for the comics and trade paperbacks. Let us know what you think. Send us an email letting us know your thoughts. Joe's dismissed. <laughs>